Well, good morning to you all. Maybe I should say even how are you? I, <laughs> it's not like we see each other every every week or so. Well, it's so good to be here, to be here at our home church. Um, uh, it, it feels like home, really, just walking in and driving up here was such a huge blessing. And um, this is where uh, my wife and I got married. We celebrated our first child, Joel, um, uh, just the church where we got sent out from, and all these memories. So we are so thankful, even after arriving, to have this as the first church that we go and, 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 and preach at. So, so thankful for your prayers and just how God has been working here as well. And I look forward to the time where we get to share more. I believe we'll be together about three times before we leave in December. So there'll be plenty of time to, to do that. Uh, Danny and the kids obviously really wish they could be here. And they were very sad. Um, but we, we trust in God's working and his sovereignty in all things. And um, that everything will work out for, for his good. But for the intents and purposes for today, uh, we're going to be in God's word. So if you have your Bibles, please turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And we will be working through verse 12 to verse 18. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to verse 18. Now this uh, little epistle or letter from Paul has been on my heart for a number of years. And oftentimes I ask myself why. And the main reason for this is just how it is so saturated by the gospel in just practical applications on how to work out the gospel in our lives. In our passage today, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to 18, we're going to be asking this personal question. And I hope this is a question that the Lord uh, convicts you with and asks you, are you growing? Are you growing? This is not a question that is supposed to be asked with you thinking about the person next to you or thinking about someone else in your mind, but this is between you and the Lord, where the Lord will be asking you this morning, if you call yourself Christian and have given your life to Christ, are you growing? In our passage today, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi while he's under house arrest in Rome, and he's under arrest for preaching the gospel. And as he writes this book, he's going to write primarily for two purposes. The first will be to thank the church in Philippi. He wants to thank them for caring for him while he's in prison. They've cared for him in two ways. They have sent a financial gift to him. And beyond that, they have sent to him another man called Epaphroditus to encourage him while he is under this house arrest. Day and night, he's chained to a Roman soldier, and these soldiers would rotate continuously. But Epaphroditus is sent to be that encouragement to Paul. The second reason Paul writes is to also encourage the church in the gospel. He wants them to know that while he has been imprisoned, the gospel itself has not been imprisoned. The gospel is not imprisoned in Paul's life, and the gospel should not be imprisoned in their life. 
You know, it may sound strange by saying this, because then you say, well, wasn't Paul a believer? What do you mean the gospel has not been imprisoned in his life? Well, the gospel is not just for when you are lost and dead in your sin and are rebellious against Christ. The gospel is more so for when you are a Christian. The outworking of the gospel and the fruit of the gospel are primarily for a Christian. So he wants them to know that the gospel has not been imprisoned in his life. In fact, Paul would always see things through the lenses of the gospel. Even as he is in prison in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, he writes to them and he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What has happened to him is that he's in prison. And he says in verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial God and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So even in his circumstances, he still sees the impact of the gospel. In our text today, uh, as, you, as, we, as, we, as we continue in, in, in looking at it, you see that Paul would then use this letter to shepherd the church to have that same outlook that prioritizes the gospel in their lives. In, in our text today, this is where the shift is when you look at Philippians chapter 1 to verse 27, where he says then, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So before, he would have been talking about how the gospel is working in his life, but in verse 27 onwards, he then shifts to the church, that the gospel should also be seen in your lives. But what does this look like? What does it look like for the gospel to be seen working in the church's life? And he says it is walking worthy of the gospel of Christ. Walking worthy of the gospel of Christ. Every day. Every day. And you could kind of see this command in chapter 1 verse 27 really as the hinge of Philippians chapter, of Philippians really, in that all the commands that you're going to see are going to fall under this one command of walk worthy of the gospel of Christ. You think about any command, be thankful, that is walking worthy of the gospel of Christ. Do not grumble, that is walking worthy of the gospel of Christ. Forgive one another, that is walking worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's kind of like this summary command under which all these commands are going to come under. If you call yourself Christian, you must walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in our text today, we'll see that this worthiness involves progress. It involves progress. In other words, we grow in it as God makes us more and more like his son. God is at work in you, if you call yourself Christian. But this progress also involves you working. How should you, according to our text today, Think through growing in the Christian life for the progress of the gospel. What does that look like on God's part? And what does that look like on your part to outwork the gospel? I must say on the front end that Paul is writing to Christians. Those who believe and have trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's where the focus will be on this morning. 
Now, I don't have an outline for you, um, as you have already seen in your bulletins, but I would just want for us to just walk through the text and see what the Lord has to teach us. And I hope at the end of this sermon that we as Christians would have this desire to be striving to grow in our faith and shining the worth of the gospel while clinging to the grace of God. So let me pray for us and we'll look at the text. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. I do pray that you help us to understand it, to work hard at understanding what you're saying to us personally, and that we may live in a way that is, that is in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. I do pray, Father, that where we are unruly, you may rebuke us. Where we are faint-hearted, you may encourage us, and that you may help us where we are weak. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you may open our hearts to be able to focus on your word and hear you speak. Through your son's name we pray, amen. As we get to Philippians chapter 2, um, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul writes, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The main command in this text is work out your salvation. If you miss anything this morning, do not miss this. The main command is work out your salvation. Everything that we're going to talk about is going to come under this main command that you ought to work out your salvation. We learn a few things about this command. The first is that it is not a command to work for your salvation. We know that we are saved by grace through faith and not by works, as Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8 tells us. This is not a working for your salvation. It is an outworking or fruit of the salvation that is supposed to come out. The second thing that we learn from this command is that it is in the context of the lordship of Christ that Paul would have spoken on or about in the previous text. We see through this through how the verse starts with those words, so then, or therefore, which connects it to the previous text. Paul would have ended the previous section in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 to 10, by emphasizing how Jesus is Lord, and how every knee in heaven and on earth will bow and every tongue will confess to him. When we say Christ is Lord, this means that he is our master. <laughs> There is no such thing as salvation without submitting to the lordship of Christ. And we forget that sometimes as Christians. He will, his will is my will. His passions become my passions. He is my lord and my master. And I, as described in, in scripture, am his slave. So this command to work out your salvation is to be done with the lordship of Christ in mind. You do it knowing who your master is. In other words, since God has exalted the son, and since the son is lord, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This command is a necessary effect of Jesus being lord in your life. 
It is not you who is Lord of your life. If you see yourself as Lord of your life, you will not be able to obey this command of working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not working out your salvation with fear and trembling is you not believing that God has highly exalted Jesus Christ and that every knee will one day bow before him. What else do we learn from this command? We learn within the same verse, 12, that this work demands or is, is summarized by obedience. Jesus summarizes this the night before he dies in John chapter 14, verse 15, when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The concept of a Christian who does not live in obedience to Christ and his word is foreign <laughs> to the word of God. There's more to learn from this command. It demands honesty before the Lord. It demands honesty before the Lord. It is not to be done in a way that is filled with hypocrisy. You see this when Paul says in verse 12 for Philippians 2, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. It is not to be done by the church or by you, uh, as Paul writes to the church in Philippi, in church, you're not just to do it because I am there, just because Paul is there, or just because someone else you respect is there. It was not to be done for any man's, one man's approval, but just for God's approval. Working out your salvation is to be done because God is always watching. And he's the only one that matters. You don't do it because your parents are watching. You don't do it because your spouse is there. You don't do it because your roommate is around. You don't do it because your elder is there. You do it knowing that you have an audience of one. So from this command, we learn that it is not to be done out of hypocrisy. And from this command, we also learn that you grow in obedience to it. You grow in obedience to it. Paul writes in that same verse, just as you have always obeyed, not is in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Much more in my absence. And notice there's only one direction of growth here. It is not, it is, it is, the, the direction of growth here is not staying in the same spiritual state and not growing. You gotta ask that question oftentimes. Are you growing? If you're a Christian who says, I don't see any change ever since I've become a Christian, I believed in the gospel, but there's no progress, there's no change. That should be scary. That should be scary. Because the Bible demands that there is progress. This direction of growth here is not just drifting and living life one day after another until you die. It is not regressing. It is not you sitting on the sidelines and saying, well, God is at work while I do what I want to do. If there is a sincerity of working out your salvation before the Lord without hypocrisy, there is an active growth that is there. You see this in other passages of the Bible. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15 this. He says this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Your progress will be evident to all. 
there should be growth. Finally, this uh, command demands perseverance to the end. Perseverance to the end. You see this through the language that Paul uses when he says, work out your salvation. This command here is in the present continuous tense in the Greek, which means that it is something that you keep on working at and keep on doing. You do not stop at any point. You do not stop until the end. You learn this from the nature of the salvation that you are to work out. Remember, Paul is addressing Christians, and they would know and they would have known and experienced that there are three aspects of salvation. There's the past aspect of salvation, the present aspect of salvation, and the future aspect of salvation. The past aspect of salvation, as we know for Christians, is justification when we are redeemed, where you came and you came to the Lord and you gave your life to the Lord that was, and God forgave you of your sin and declared you to be righteous. That is justification. That's the past aspect of salvation. And it is there that the work begins. The present aspect of salvation is sanctification. The time between your justification and the time where you will die or you will be taken to be with the Lord or Jesus comes and raptures you. That's sanctification. That's where we grow and become more and more like Christ. And then there's the future aspect of salvation, which is glorification, where salvation is completed and you receive this new body that is going to be without sin. This working out is to be from the time when he says, work out your salvation, and it's a continuous tense. This is from the time where you were saved till the end, this sanctification process. For Paul, this was a reality. He will later say on in verse 17 of that same chapter, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Paul was continuously paying the price of serving the Lord, loving God's people continuously so that they would grow in faith. And in that verse in verse 17 where he says, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. He compares this service to an Old Testament drink offering. He, he, as, as he continues to work out his salvation, he, he again uses the present tense here to say that this is something that he's continuously doing and that's evident in him being in prison and even him being concerned for the faith of the other believers. We cannot, however, take this command of working out your salvation out of the context of the broader teaching of Scripture of the security of our salvation. Us working out our salvation doesn't mean that that is compromising that very, very important doctrine. It doesn't take away the promises of God in securing his children in Christ and persevering them till the end. But we also learn how we ought to obey this command. How do I, how do I obey this command of working out my salvation with fear and trembling? Look at verse 12 and how it ends. It ends with the words, work out your salvation with fear and trembling with fear and trembling we ought to fear Christ we ought to fear Christ because he is Lord 
I find that oftentimes one of the great sins of the church is that we have stopped to fear Christ. We have become so casual with Jesus Christ. The name Jesus is just used everywhere. Even you walk around in the world, I don't know since I've gotten here, how many times I've heard people swear using Jesus' name. It's just like any other name. But a Christian who understands who Jesus is has to have that healthy fear of his Lord and his Master for him or her to be able to obey this command to work out their salvation. The word for fear is phobos here. It has this idea of terror. And the word for trembling, traumas, in the Greek is the idea of shaking. There is a healthy, reverential fear that we are to have of Jesus that informs how we work out our salvation. That fear protects us from sin. That fear protects us from sin. For many Christians, their view of Jesus is just now a baby who is in a manger. But the fact that Jesus is Lord, we forget that Jesus is not just depicted as a lamb in the scriptures, but also as a lion. He is the same Jesus that every knee will bow in the context before in heaven and in hell. It's amazing when you think about that. That even now, for those who are in hell, they have no option but to bow at the name of Jesus, but for them, obviously, it's too late. But they acknowledge now that for sure he is Lord and he is Master. But for us Christians... We remember that this fear is tempered. It's tempered, praise the Lord. It's tempered by knowing that we are the beloved, as he says in the beginning of verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, right? My beloved. This, this fear is, is tempered by knowing that we are the beloved. We have, we, we have this earthly picture. I, I see this earthly picture every day with my children, that I'm a father, and there's a fear that is there of when I say, Joel, as a father, he stops. And if he knows he has been doing something wrong, there is that fear that is there. But at the same time, there is that tempering of him knowing that this is not just anyone who is saying Joel. This is my father who also cares and loves for me and knows and wants what is good for me. That's, that's just on an earthly perspective, but in a much greater way, in a heavenly perspective, th that's what we have with Christ. So, if we're to summarize this command of working out your salvation, we could say this. It is a working out with the lordship of Christ in view. It is a working out in obedience. It is a working out without hypocrisy. It is a working out that progresses, that perseveres with fear and trembling. 
knowing that your salvation is secure in Christ. At the risk of you thinking we're just going to spend the whole time in verse 12, let's move on to verse 13. We also learn that this command of your responsibility to grow, that's what we've been talking about, you have a responsibility to grow, but it is not in conflict at least in God's mind, it is not in conflict with divine grace. You read in verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So while you work out your salvation and you grow in becoming more like Christ, it is God who is working in you. Both are true. Apart from this divine grace that's mentioned, apart from this divine grace, verse 12, or you working out your salvation would not be possible. God is at work in you. He is the source of that energy of, of your working or your growing. This balance is the same idea that Paul gives several times in the scriptures. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, for example, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, Paul says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove in vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. And he balances that aspect of the grace of God and him laboring even more. Again, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, he says, For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. And what is the purpose? What is the purpose of God working in you? And it says at the end of Philippians 2, verse 13, if you look at your Bible, say in Philippians 2, 13, it says this, what is the purpose? Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is best interpreted not as, as God's will and work for his pleasure, but for your will and work for his pleasure. In other words, God gives you the grace to work out your salvation so that you will do what is right and honors the Son, so that your will, your affections, your desires, and work are in obedience to his good pleasure or glory, that they're pleasing to him. He gives you the divine grace to do this. You cannot do this by yourself or in your own strength. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that helps you to grow. You work out your salvation being mindful of God's grace to do that. In this working out of your salvation with fear and trembling while being held or holding on to the divine grace, Paul then gives two commands, two commands that are worth keeping in mind that point to the attitude we should have while we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Two commands that point to the attitude we should have. Listen, God's work in you is not going to be easy for you. <laughs> but, he will give you the grace to endure, right? First Corinthians 10, 13, right? He'll give you the grace to endure. But keep these two commands in mind of the attitude that you're called to have while you're working out your salvation. 
And he says in verse 14, what's the first command? Verse 14, let's talk. What's the first command? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Right. Oftentimes you can see this as disconnected to what would have just happened or talked about. But this is very much connected. Grumbling or complaining is going to be very easy during that working out of the salvation of fear and trembling. That's the idea here. Now, we have to talk about what it is not first. Grumbling or complaining here, I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, doesn't mean that um, you shouldn't express your dislikes or disappointments or, or, or preferences, right? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like eggs, for example, right? I, I, I really don't. And if I say to you that I don't like eggs, I'm not, I mean, that's just what it is, right? I'm, I'm, I, I just don't like eggs, and I, that's why I don't eat them. But you can't say then that's grumbling and complaining, because that's just a preference that's there. So it's not bad to say that, right? It's not, it's not, it's not grumbling when I say I hate my sin. You know, there's, there's, there's that aspect in there, right? It is, what grumbling and complaining here is that it is, it is something, it was when you see someone not responding well to the things that disappoint us. Not responding well to the things that disappoint us. The things that we see as inconvenient, the things that are unpleasant. When things do not go according to our way or what we see as, as right, the heart behind that response is this sense of, I deserve better. I, I deserve better. And when that heart is motivating that response to what I don't like, then that's grumbling and, dis- and complaining. You may not say it in that way, but your, the heart behind it would be, I deserve better. I deserve better food. I deserve better housing. <laughs> I, I, I deserve a better job. I, I deserve a better spouse. I deserve better treatment. I deserve that my family should be healthy today and not be at home, right, today. They should be here. Like, I don't deserve this. And so I complain. And all the while forgetting that all that you deserve, wait not for the grace of Christ, is hell. God will bring things in your life as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling and as he works in you, anything in his mind that does not go against who he is and that will help you to know Christ better. And many times, that involves giving you things that you don't want or taking away from you things that you really, really want. But he knows what's eternally good for you better than you do. You, we know what's temporarily good for us, right? <laughs> but he knows what's eternally good for us. And, and when those things are in conflict, God can either give you something so that you may know Christ better, but you may not want it, or he may take away something from you so that you know Christ better. And this is the process, the process of working out your salvation with fear and trembling. But when that happens, you know what's going to be easy to do? Right? 
The temptation will be to complain. The temptation will be to dispute or, or arguing or questioning or reasoning against that which the Lord puts in your life so that you might cherish Christ more. But why should we not grumble or complain? Look at the next part of verse 14 to verse 15. So that, when you see those words, so that, that's a purpose statement to give you a reason, right? Why? So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. The reasons here are twofold. First, it is for your sake that you do not grumble and complain. (laughs) It is for your spiritual growth and progress in the gospel that you work out your salvation with fear and trembling with an attitude of not complaining. The NASB NASB says so that you would prove yourselves to be blameless. The ESV has a better rendering and says that you may be blameless and innocent. And that's, that's the idea there. The idea then is that you may be the children that God wants to, you to be, who are blameless and innocent and above reproach. All these aspects speak of being imitators of Christ, growing in your sanctification. So, if we believe, if we believe, if we believe that God is sovereign, right? Do we believe that? God is sovereign, which he is. If we believe God is sovereign and that he either causes or allows all things for his glory, which he does, right? And then if we grumble and complain for what God would have given or taken away, there's something that we're saying about God in that very moment. There's something we're saying about God, about who he is and what he has done. We're not trusting that God is good. God is purposeful in all circumstances. In fact, we may be blaming it on other people and circumstances and everything, but really, whom we are blaming at the heart of all of this is him, because he has allowed this. We would not have feared and trembled before him when we do that. But instead, we ourselves have become full of blame and guilty, and we're no longer above reproach, because we have blamed a holy God. We ought to obey this command of working out your salvation with fear and trembling with an attitude of not grumbling or complaining so that we may grow in being blameless and innocent, which is rooted in finding God blameless and innocent in all that he does and allows. The second reason we ought to have this attitude is it's not for your sake, for your spiritual growth to be, to, be, to be blameless and innocent, not just that, but it is also for the sake of those who do not know Christ. People who are still dead in their trespasses and sins. These are the ones Paul refers to in verse 15 as a crooked and perverse generation. Did you see that? 
When we grumble and complain, we are not being any different in attitude to them who are in the darkness, is what Paul is saying. Instead, instead, we, instead of us being different, appearing as lights in the world, we are just being like the world that does not understand the sovereignty of God and him working all things for good. Why are we to be different in attitude? Because we trust in God's sovereignty. Because we understand that God does all things for his glory. Because we understand that God is at work in us to know Christ. And he will use different things for us to be sharpened and become more like Christ. As we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But when we grumble before the world, we have destroyed so many gospel opportunities. (laughs) To allow someone to see a different person and a different response and an open door to share the gospel with them when they ask, how come you're responding in this way to this? I would be grumbling and complaining. Hey, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. This is is why. How is complaining helping or hindering you working out your salvation with fear and trembling? If you're known to be a complainer, sometimes we even, it's interesting when you find people actually seeing that as a trophy. Like, I'm a complainer. I just complain, right? I just, you know, it's something like, you know, should be like, oh, that's great. We cheer for you. You know, great complainer. No, 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 no. That's a sin. <laughs> right? That's a sin. You're not progressing and you're not being a good testimony and you're closing all these gospel doors and opportunities sometimes the mindset of rights while I'm so thankful for them really does clash with your walk as a Christian rights can become an idol to such a point that you do not respond well in any situation How is grumbling and complaining hindering your work and you working out your salvation with fear and trembling? How is grumbling and complaining hindering you in appearing as lights in the world? So this is why you ought to have this first attitude of, of not grumbling and complaining. And the second attitude, remember, where we have this broad command of, what's the broad command again? What is it again? work out your salvation, right? Work out your salvation. And then we have these commands under that of how you do that, what attitude, and the first attitude was what? Without grumbling and complaining, right? And then the second attitude he gives us, falling under that command of of, the second attitude you're commanded to have in this broader command of working out your salvation while God is at work in you is found in verse 16. Look at the first part of verse 16. Holding fast to, holding fast the word of life. Paul wants them to hold on to God's word. Well, what does that look like? This means you are in God's word continuously. You rely on God's word and you use God's word to grow in your walk and in your thinking. When in a situation you don't like and it's easy for you to complain, if you're in God's word, you will remember Psalm 84 verse 11. For the Lord, God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. 
No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God doesn't withhold any good thing from us. And that's the lie oftentimes, the lie that was in the garden that will always come. God is withholding something from me, and so I'm going to be angry. You remember Psalm 50, or Isaiah 55, verse 8 to 9? Isaiah 55, 8 to 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. To be at a place where you say, God, your thoughts are not my thoughts, and I'm so thankful for that. My thoughts are these, but your thoughts have seen it good that I go through this. Can we say that? Can we live like that and really hold fast to the word of life in every situation? There's so many examples we could give because there's so much in God's word. When the sin of worry sets in about tomorrow, I ought to remember how God has been faithful to give me today's bread, right? Give us our daily bread. And it's interesting, it says, give us our daily bread. God never says we pray, give us our monthly bread and our yearly bread and our 10-year bread and our century bread. And no, it's give us our daily bread because he wants me to trust him for tomorrow. But we forget those things. We forget those things. I'm not saying don't be wise, don't plan or all of these things, but hold on fast to the word of life. If you don't do that, that's where you start seeing this grumbling and complaining and not working out your salvation with fear and trembling and instead diverting to following the things of the world. But just like Paul did with the attitude of not grumbling or complaining, he gives a reason why you should hold on to the word of life. And he says that in verse 16, so that in the day of Christ I will have risen to glory because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. The day of Christ is different from the day of the Lord, which will be a day of punishment and judgment for unbelief in the person and work of Christ and the gospel. The day of Christ is, is for believers only, where they will receive rewards for working out their salvation and how they worked out their salvation with fear and trembling as God was at work in them. Paul here says, work out your salvation while holding on to the word of life so that one day I will have reason to glory that I did not run in vain. To run in vain, there has the idea of laboring to the point of exhaustion. That I did not labor before you to the point of exhaustion in vain. Paul could honestly say that he had labored to the point of exhaustion for the sake of God's people. And he worked out his salvation with fear and trembling so that they would also work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Can you say that before the Lord? That I am working to the point of exhaustion. To the point of exhaustion. That I would work out my salvation with fear and trembling. To the point of exhaustion for the sake of God's people that they also would work out their salvation with fear and trembling. This is Serious. Christianity is not just a label that you just place on yourself and say, Christian. Christianity is a life. Moment by moment living. Dying to yourself daily. 
Whether it's me working out my salvation with fear and trembling in my marriage, working out my salvation with fear and trembling with my children, working out my salvation with fear and trembling in the church, working out my salvation with fear and trembling on the freeway, working out my salvation, wherever the... It's life. But we've reduced it oftentimes to just a label. And Paul says, to the point of exhaustion. Now, Paul here is not being saying this in a prideful way that, hey, I, I, wanna, I wanna make sure that I didn't run in vain here, so <laughs> make sure you do this. He's not in a prideful way, but he's actually saying this out of concern for the church that they may rejoice together one day at the fruit that was born from God's word and the teaching with Paul was used as an instrument. You see this in the last two verses, verse 17 and 18, and some of you breathe a sigh of relief, verse 17 and 18. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. The language here doesn't speak of being prideful, but in contrast of one who is humble. Paul uses Old Testament imagery here when he mentions this drink offering. You may be asking, what is this drink offering? Um, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering. It's an Old Testament imagery in the context of service and sacrifice. See, there is something that pagans and Jews would have understood from their time before becoming Christians. In the Old Testament, you would offer a sacrifice, an animal, as the main sacrifice. And sometimes, depending on the sacrifice, you added grain or you added oil. But at the very end, you could offer a drink offering. Sometimes it could be honey or wine or water. The altar, the altar remember this is an animal that is there's fire there and it's seething hot and the altar would be seething hot and you could pour this Drink offering on the front of the altar, which is hot, or on the animal itself, which is also hot. And guess what happens? There's this seethingness that happens and this aroma that then just goes up if, you, if you've cooked before, right? And this, right? Some of you young men are looking at me like, what is that, right? Okay. <laughs> the, the, then it's this aroma that just rises up with a fragrance. The point of this was to make the main sacrifice a little bit more pleasing to God. Just a little bit more pleasing to God. But it's not the main sacrifice. The main sacrifice is what? The animal. But this is just to make things a little bit more pleasing to God. And so when Paul says here that even if I am being poured out as a drink offering, there's no pride in here. He's not saying even if I'm being offered as the main sacrifice... He is using this to say, even if I am that, I'm being used as that, that, that very last bit. That very last bit. That very minor bit that will just make things a little bit more pleasing. I am joyful. I am joyful. He didn't see himself as much. He didn't exalt himself. And that's what we ought to ask ourselves oftentimes. How important do you think you are in the eternal scheme of things? Before what God is doing in the lives of his people. How important do you think you are? 
Sometimes we think we are that main sacrifice, right? <laughs> I'm it, right? Look at all that I've done. Look at how patient I've been today. Look at how, look at my family. Look at, you know, no, 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 no. We ought to be like Paul, where we just see ourselves as the least of all. And even in that very least of all, we are joyful. Because God has allowed us to take part in his glory. In just, even if he, if, he, if he allowed me to take part in his glory in this one drop in an ocean, I rejoice. That's humility on Paul's side. So, as you consider your walk, are you being intentional in your walk with Christ to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Has Christianity just become a label for you? Maybe it was, and I know, those of you who say Christian, I'm a Christian. The very beginning we were so serious, so intent. Intent on putting to death sin, intent on working on the intent, intent. But over time, it's easy to drift, isn't it? Easy to drift. But God is calling us back to say, the reason why you were saved, the reason why you were saved, is that you may give glory every day to my son. Every day. Every day. And maybe we've forgotten that. And you ought to do it with an attitude. An attitude of knowing that this is God who is at work in me. Of not complaining and disputing. An attitude of holding on to the word of life humbly every day. And I hope that's a reminder for us. Now close us with the same prayer that I opened us up with. So let us come before the Lord and pray. So Father, may you rebuke us where we have become unruly. May you encourage us where we are faint-hearted. And may you help us where we are weak. I ask and pray this through your son's name. Amen.